0: Before the ladies come and sing, brother, I'm not sure, but I know we had discussed about you sharing uh, a video. By chance, is that in the booth right now? <clears throat> okay. Well, listen. This morning, I'm going to ask brother John uh, to come and share a little bit about his ministry. Just a few moments, if you would, brother. Tell us what you do with Baptist Builders. Again, that's an oversight of mine. I should have gotten with you to the end of the week as well. But I had originally we uh, had talked about possibly him sharing his video. He'll do that tonight. And give you an insight as to what's really going on with the ministry there. But I want him to come and talk a little bit about what they do in in Baptist Church Builders. And again, uh, Brother John and his family have been with us for the last couple of weeks. They're going to be with us just till the end of this week. And they have been a blessing to us. And you heard him preach last Sunday afternoon. And and obviously uh, it was a blessing and encouragement. And I know it's just uh, principles and thoughts that just are rock solid. And so this is a family that has it together. They know exactly what God wants for them and they're obeying the Lord, and they've been a blessing to us, and I know <clears throat> that they've been a blessing uh, to so many other churches around the country. Now, Brother John's going to share a few moments about what they do, why they do it, and uh, maybe how they do it, because it doesn't happen uh, by chance.
1: Good morning. As Pastor said, we, uh, we're in the building ministry. I've talked to, been to several places, and a lot of churches aren't even familiar with this type of ministry. They've never seen it. They've never heard of it. But God called us to this ministry in 2010. And there's, there's a great big long story that goes along with that of how he brought us to the point where we could go out full time and do this. But when I found out about the ministry, and I knew that that's what God had called me to do, I went and talked to my pastor, and my pastor told me all the bad things about a helps ministry, all the struggles and all the hardships about a helps ministry. But then he said, I'm not God, and if that's what he's called you to do, he will provide, and he has. Amen. He has, church family. He's parted the waters so many times in this ministry. Amen. But my pastor gave me two pieces of advice. He said, start preparing yourself financially to do what God's called you to do. And then he said, start doing it here. Start doing it any place you can drive to on a weekend, anywhere you can go of an evening and help. If you don't do it here, God will never let you go do it anywhere else. So that's what me and my family started doing any place. Sometimes it was just me and my oldest son would go and we would leave out Friday after work and and go somewhere and work all day on a Saturday and then drive half the night back Saturday night to be in church But anyway, we serve with Independent Baptist Builders. That's the group that God's called us to. And we travel full-time. We live in our RV full-time. And we go to Independent Baptist Churches that are King James only. And we will assist the pastor in working on their buildings, remodeling, anything that that his vision is, is building new even. Uh, We've been full-time since April. Of two thousand sixteen. And my family just just us, I kept up with my pastor recommended that, that I keep up with statistics. That's a hard word for me to say, but pastor wanted me to keep up with that because men like statistics, amen? Yeah. So since then we've helped twenty five, I believe this is our twenty fifth church, and we've saved independent Baptist churches a little over three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Church family, if you've ever had anything done, you know that the skilled labor is where the expense is. God has given me skill sets in different areas, and it's my desire to give that back to God. Um, the Lord has has uh, blessed, and he will continue to bless. I know that. When I, st- when I first started out, I'll take just a minute and share this. When I first started out, I struggled with the fact that it's a helps ministry. What do I stand up here and say it's a helps ministry? How is, how is it truly a benefit to the furtherance of the kingdom of God? Well, church family, that $350,000 that we've saved independent Baptist churches, that goes right back into the ministry. That goes right back to buying bus or uh, gas for the buses to bring bus kids in. It goes right back into tracks. That we can pass out. Church family, don't forget the fact that that track contains God's word. That's what makes a difference in people's lives. That $350,000 goes right back into supporting missionaries. Amen. Amen? That's our ministry. And we only do it by the grace of God. Pray for us, please, as we travel. We'll see a little bit more tonight as they'll we'll have the opportunity to watch
0: the video. But um, I want you to know we did not schedule them to come here. This is just the Lord brought them here to us. Uh, they were scheduled to be down in, at the football camp. You know that football camp I attend uh, every year, and, and a couple of the staff do as well. And uh, they were scheduled to be down there. But the schedule that they had, it, it was a little off compared to they just the month that they were supposed to be there, September. They weren't ready for them on time. They had a few other changes that they made, and as a result of that, they couldn't have the builders there at that time. And so they were like, well, what are we going to do? And he had a number of, a couple of other churches that he was, you know, had a priority. Well, none of them were able to have him at this time either. And one of the gentlemen called and said, hey, by chance, you guys, could you use these Baptist builders? And we said, serious? (laughs) Of course we can. And then the first question was, how much does it cost? And they said, well, it can, listen, I don't mean to embarrass them, but can let me tell you what they asked for? They asked for $150 a week to feed their family and $250 for traveling expenses. They're supposed to be in Iowa. They're running around in a big rig with a big old truck. 250 bucks for traveling expenses, folks. Yeah. Basically what they're saying is we don't want to dime from you. We're just coming to serve you. That's what they're saying. We're coming to serve you. I don't know. When we, they leave, listen, they've saved us thousands already. I'm going to tell you that right now. But I just want to say thank you to the family, all of you, you boys, uh, hardworking young men. And a wife that's, I mean, just rock solid standing behind her family, her husband and family. Man, what a, what a spirit. They've been out soul winning all the time. I mean, they're preachers. They're ministers of the gospel here. They're not just out here trying to make a buck. They're not out making bucks. They're saving bucks for us and for so many other churches. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll stop right there. But if you see them, let them know how much you appreciate just their willingness to come and be a part of our church over a course of three weeks. And uh, we're going to lose them here after this week. And uh, they're going to be, I feel like they should just quit the road and move in and be a part of the ministry here. I, I think we have a position for them right now, don't we? I might even be able to free up some money. We'll even put him on staff. Um, I'm, about ready. I'm ready to do that now. We'll talk to him before he leaves. I'm sure the <laughs> Lord will change his mind. <clears throat> but anyway, we are glad that they're with us, and I'm glad you're with us today. Ladies, you come sing for us, and then we'll see what God has for us today. An interesting message, something I've been working on for about a week and uh, just really just haven't been able to get it nailed down until I sat at a McDonald's this morning, and I think it's ready. So we'll see how it goes. Thank you. amen let's take our bibles today turn over to the book of joshua someone says did you really nail that thing down at a mcdonald's absolutely i did you had to buy those one of those things on your phone you know that you can get a mcdonald's sandwich for a dollar i got that um, bagel that steak egg and cheese bagel that thing's like 469 but i got it for a dollar preacher knows how to save money I'd never bought that for the real price ever. I always get those little things on the phone. And so I sat there with a sweet tea, ate that, and then I, just the Lord brought all the things I'd been working on all week kind of together, and I think we're okay. I think I could break this message down into probably three messages. We could probably preach on this for three solid weeks. We'll see where we get to today. But boy, I'll tell you what, what a great, I I don't know if this is a great thought, but I've always thought it was a good thought. And I was having a hard time getting it out there, you know, and the Lord just kind of said, ah, you're making too big a deal of it. Just throw it out there and we'll see what happens, okay? And sometimes we make things way too complicated in our lives, don't we? And preachers do that too with messages. We try to get so, so uh, you know, perfect and everything just so right that sometimes we undermine the Lord's leadership even, you know? We kind of have our own way of trying to, we just want to make it so perfect and God's going, why don't you just say what I want you to say and we'll let it land where it lands. And so turn to Joshua 14, we're going to begin reading in verse 5 and um, Basically, I'm going to talk to you here today, at least, um, about this topic. The secret to killing giants. The secret to killing giants. Okay, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Joshua chapter 14, and I hope it's an encouragement to you as we move along here. Chapter 14, verse 5. Let's begin there. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord sent unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea? Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. I brought him word again, as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses sware on that day, saying, Surely the land whereupon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He's saying, I'm eighty-five. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my servant was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. That's crazy, isn't it? He's 85 and he says, man, I I feel like a 40-year-old. I'm 55 and I don't. Good for you, Caleb. Show off. He goes on to say, he says, And uh, now, verse 12, Therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said." And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite unto his day, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims. The land had rest from war. Now, this is a tremendous passage, and it's one that has probably been preached a number of times. I'm going to look at it a little bit differently or from a different perspective or angle maybe than before, but I think it's important to realize as we get kick-started here that there's something very interesting taking place. And I'm going to note it in just a moment, but let's first of all understand where this setting is. First of all, the children of Israel have been delivered out of Egypt. And now they find themselves on the precipice of a great promise being kept. God had told them that he would give them the land of Canaan. So Moses, the great man of God, sends Joshua, Caleb, and others to go spy the land or check it out, to recon the area. They come back with a tremendous report of the milk and honey flowing and how wonderful the land was, but they also expressed how there are great enemies there. And the Bible says that ultimately some of the people were so discouraged, the multitude of people were so discouraged, that even though Caleb and Joshua stood and said, hey, wait a second, got God's promise on this thing, let's go forward. They didn't go forward. Now, for 40 years, they're wandering in the wilderness. Now, for 40 years, they're going through this time of testing and trial. And ultimately, they end up in a place where God says it's time to cross this Jordan River and go into the promised land and to seize the property, to take hold of the land that I've given you. And so now for five years, they've been battling. For five years, they've been fighting. For five years, they've been warring. And five years, they've been taking the land that God had promised. And at the end of five years, they begin to distribute or divide the land up into the inheritance of the particular tribes of Israel. And Caleb comes to Joshua now and says, Hey, Joshua, you remember? You and me were amigos. Remember how the two of us stood against all of Israel? Remember how the two of us faced the crowd and said that God can and God will? Remember that Moses at that very moment said, Caleb, because you wholly followed the Lord, the very land that you walked on will be yours. He says, "Wow, ah, it's time now. We're dividing the land up. And isn't it time now for the promise of God to be kept And Joshua says, you're right, absolutely. Moses, the man of God, received word from God, and he promised that you indeed would have your own inheritance. And boy, old Caleb said, I want that mountain. Give me that mountain over there. And that's where we land here in our passage. And it's interesting about the land that he's now going to inherit the Bible says in verse 15, in the name Hebron before, it says Hebron is the area that he will receive, that mountain is there in that area, but he says it was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims. The land had rest, it says, from war. Interesting thing about Anakims. In Numbers chapter 13, is that they go into the land, as they espy the land, as those those. those that recon team was there looking over the land. They say in chapter 13 of Numbers, verse 33, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants and were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. What he's saying is is that when they took into the land and those 12 spies checked out the land, they ran into some giants along the way. And, and somebody says, Giants, what do you mean? You know, taller, bigger than us? Those kind. You say, did they really exist? Yes, indeed, the Bible says they did. You know, it's interesting, you can find even archaeologically speaking that every once in a while they'll uncover some bones uh, of people that were larger than normal. And people say, that just doesn't seem possible. Well, I don't see why it's impossible, seeing that God already told us they would. It's funny how mankind is always a step or two or light years behind God. But we see here that there were giants. There's other examples of giants in the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible says, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. It is, not in, is, is it not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man? You say, what do you mean? Cubits, what's that mean? Nine cubits, 13 and a half feet. His bed was 13 and a half feet long by six feet wide. I mean, this was, this was a man that they recognized. Is it not there? I mean, I mean, well, you could go and see it. I mean, if you want to, at least in that day, you could have seen it. Is it not in Rabbah of the children of Ammon? I mean, king of Bashan, he remained the remnant of giants. So there are giants spoken of in the word of God. Caleb is going to take a mountain. Caleb is going into a place called Hebron. Caleb is going to a place where there are giants. And may I say that in order to inherit the land, in order to live peaceably in the land, he's going to have to kill some giants. So we could say Caleb's a giant killer because we know that ultimately the land had rest. We know that ultimately he did indeed inherit that land. And he did live there along with his offspring. Caleb was a giant killer. But wait, there's another man that's known for killing giants, isn't there? Hey, there's another one. Turn if you would to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm sure that many of you could even give the name of that giant killer. His name is none other than David. Notice 1 Samuel 17 verse 4 to begin with. Again, 1 Samuel. Chapter 17. Notice the Bible says in verse 4, it says, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. A cubit was a foot and a half. A span was half a cubit. So It appears that Goliath was about 9 foot 9. So let's just round it up, I guess. In in, in math, that's how they always told us. If it's .5 or over, it goes to the next number. He's 10 foot. They called him tiny. (laughs) 10 foot tall Goliath. Can you imagine Now, I know it's very difficult to wrap our minds around Goliath being 10 foot, because right now, I mean, as massive and as large as I appear to be up front. He would be twice my size. I'm talking about height-wise. Almost twice, at least four foot more, a little over four foot more than me. That's amazing. And I can't even imagine how much he weighed. Man, you figure Goliath probably was at least 500 pounds, 450, 500 And 450 pounds on a man that's 10 foot tall. He would be lean and mean. And he was a fighting machine. Continue now in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. And let's look at the confrontation between David and this Goliath. This giant of a man. Chapter 17, verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know, that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the enemy to meet the Philistine. I I mean, I'm always amazed by that statement. And David didn't just kind of Fearfully walk up to him and go, could you stand still for a moment, please, while I set my sling? (laughs) David wasn't timid, nor was he shy. David wasn't even fearful, it appears. And if he was, I don't see it in his countenance, and I don't see it in his actions. The Bible says he ran toward the Philistine. You want some big boy, here it comes. Isn't that something? While all the other warriors in the camp of Israel cowered behind rocks and feared for their very lives, David, this young man, made his way to Goliath and he ran toward him, the Bible says. That's amazing. And David, verse 49, put his hand in, the, in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it. I like that, slang it. We don't talk like that. Now, Brother John does, but we don't talk like that. (laughs) And the Bible says he smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead. Boy, what velocity that rock must have had, that stone. Again, he's running toward him. He's pulling it out. He's putting it in. I mean, and the Bible, interestingly enough, says, and I think this is, I don't know why this is so important, but it seems important to me. No, notice, notice what it says. He smote the Philistine in the forehead, and the, the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I'm riding my bicycle, you know, on the towpath, and a bug hits me in the forehead, I'm like, Oh! I mean, it's like, you know, throws me backwards. You know, somebody hits me or something without me realizing, or some, I'm walking along and a stick slits me in the face. I'm like, whoa! I mean, I'm jumping back, right? And he takes a stone in the forehead, and it sinks into his forehead, and he goes, timber, right on his face. I don't know what that really means 100%. I guess I don't, I'm not smart enough and nor am I intelligent enough to figure all that out. But what I can say is this, and I find it very interesting that here he is defying the God of all Israel, but when he finally takes the final blow, he falls on his face before God and man. I think that's pretty interesting. Listen, the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. You can defy God all you want. You can go ahead and curse God, but my friend, you will die, and you'll face the God that you cursed. And he is alive and well today, whether you believe it or not. Let God be true, but every man a liar, the Bible says. And so down he goes. Therefore, it says, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine, and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Verse 51. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. Really gross, isn't it? That's what sin's all about, grotesqueness. Do you know how God sees your sin and mine? It's grotesque. The problem is we look at it and we think it's all beautiful, wonderful. That's the problem. Until we see sin for what it really is, we'll never see the need to do without it. <laughs> Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine. This young man loves to run. And he took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. I mean, they got out of there. Well, we know that the Rest of the Israelite army got a lot of courage all of a sudden. And all of a sudden they started chasing the enemy now. And there was a tremendous victory that day. But it began with a giant killer by the name of David. I want you to look now in 1 Samuel chapter 7. uh, Excuse me, I want you to take your Bible. Now don't worry about that yet. We'll get there. So we have two examples of giant killers, don't we? We have Caleb and we have David here. Caleb and David. Now, we know that giants are viewed as being strong and powerful. They're viewed as being impossible to defeat, really, aren't they? In most cases, when you think of a giant, you think, there is no way that I can compete with a giant. I mean, in all the men of Israel, these these. Seasoned veterans of warfare, they even them, they they looked at Goliath and said, There is no way that we can defeat this Goliath. He's so big, he's so massive, he's so overwhelming to us. Now you and I will probably never face a giant. We got a couple guys around here that are giant but they're not giants. Not in the the term here. I mean, anybody that's over six foot sometimes looks like a giant to me. But the fact is, we know that I could take them easily. I'd show you a few moves, but right now I'm in my suit. I don't want to get a lather going. But the fact is, is that Most of us will not, let's face it, have to face a giant. We're not going to face some ten-foot giant. We're not going to face some eleven or twelve-foot giant. We're not going to face any of these, you know, Og of Bashan. We're not going to face Goliath or anyone like that stature or size. But we still face some giants in our lives. Some there are pretty important areas of our life that we face these giants. You know, those things that seem almost impossible, if not impossible to overcome, that are so powerful, so large, so big in our lives that we don't know how we're ever going to get over them or under them or around them. They just seem to overwhelm us. And when we think of some of those areas that we find giants, we think about giants in our relationships. We may have a husband or wife and we're struggling in that relationship and we say, man, this is such a giant of a problem. It's so big, I don't think we can ever defeat it. I don't think we'll ever overcome it. There's no way we can get victory over the giant in our relationship. We think about giants in our finances. You don't realize I've just lost my job, preacher, and I have a house payment, and I've got bills to pay, and I've got children in school, and I've got to buy school clothes, and I've got all these responsibilities, and the finances are so mighty and so big and so, power, so strong, so large in my life. There's no way that we'll ever have victory over our finances. They'll destroy us. They'll bury us. We have giants in our health, don't we? We get that phone call from the doctor's office saying that we tested positive, or that possibly we have some kind of terminal disease, or maybe we have a, a, a chronic illness or a chronic pain that will never go away. And we say to ourselves, There's no way I'll be able to continue. There's no way I can keep going, and it's going to take me to my grave. It's so large and it's so overwhelming that we say, That giant is just too big. We'll never get victory. We have giants concerning our feelings. Maybe we've been hurt, harmed in the past by someone, something, and those feelings of bitterness and those feelings of hatred well up in our heart, and we're unable to forgive like we ought to. And we say, but you don't know how hurt i had been. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know what they did. You don't realize how isolated and alone I've felt for all these years. How can I forgive them after what they did to me? A giant of feelings that seems so overwhelming, so large, that we'll never get victory. You know, even giants concerning our faith. I'd like to believe God, but honestly, preacher, if I'm going to be honest, I feel He's let me down. I feel like there was a time when I was calling on Him and begging Him to do something miraculous, and He didn't hear me. A giant in our faith. So, what do we learn about giant killing from these two great killers of giants? These giant killers. What do we learn from Caleb? What do we learn from David? Well, number one, giants are not indestructible. Yeah. Amen. Giants aren't indestructible, they're not. I mean, evidence of that is clear in the Word of God. Even these, that the rest of all of Israel said, there's no way that Goliath's going to go down. And so many others in the armies, even when they entered into the land, might have said, well, I don't know, some of those giants are pretty big. And the people of God said, wait, the, 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 those, those that, that, that recon team told us about the certain giants in the land. There's no way we can defeat them. There's no way we're going to get victory. Uh, well, they did. Giants aren't indestructible. Giants can fall, too. Giants can come down, too. Number two, whether you're young or old, you can kill a giant. Look in Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14 verse 10 and now Caleb says behold the Lord hath kept me alive by the way if you're alive today it's the Lord that's kept you alive some people that are living act like they're dead you know I'm just so old I can't do anything for God My day's passed. We'll let the young people handle it. That's lame. You know, God's the one that kept you alive. There's a reason for that. It's not so you can just watch HBO and Cinemax and watch your Netflix and relax behind a television screen so you can grow old and die doing nothing for Jesus. Do you realize that's not why you're alive? You say, that's pretty harsh. That's reality in most cases. You know how many times I've listened to older people in the ministry say things like, well, I've served, I've done my time. I've taught classes and I've done this and I've done that. Now it's time for others to come up and do it. I'm done. I've done mine. You don't realize, preacher, when you get my age, you'll, say, you'll do the same thing. Yeah, it's funny how preachers that get that way, we all say, look at how terrible that was. Why didn't he let go earlier? Why didn't he quit then? Why didn't he? You know what? Preachers that lose sight of the vision and preachers that lose sight of the ministry ought to step down from the pulpit. I'm going to be honest with you. They're killing churches today because they need a paycheck. When a pastor is only pastoring so that he can get finances and he can only meet the need of his own life because he doesn't hasn't provided for his church hasn't provided for his retirement like they ought to and hasn't put him in a position where he can walk away when he needs to, he should just still step out man enough to say, I don't have the vigor and I don't have the desire and I don't have the willingness to put in the effort like I used to. I don't have the passion anymore for the ministry. I'm stepping down before the church dies. But most men of God stay in there and the church dies because they just can't afford to get out. And that's not always the church's fault either. Sometimes that's the man of God's fault because he didn't plan his finances properly. Now listen, I know that stuff. You say, well, what are you talking about that stuff for? Because sometimes we just need to be reminded of things so that we understand how things really work. There will come a point that Pastor O'Donnell, if he gives, gives the opportunity to live long enough, will no longer be as effective as he needs to be to keep a ministry like this running in the direction it's going. And he'll need to step down and let a younger man step in so that the ministry can continue to go forward. I'm going to be honest with you. The older people in the church support the church. If we took out the older people in the church right now, the church would die financially. Young people, you do not do your part. I'm just going to tell you that right now since we're talking about it. The young couples do not do their part to sustain the church. Most are irresponsible and disobedient in their giving. You have jobs and you have the ability to make more income, but you don't give like God commands. These older people sacrifice. Do you know that they don't come to church for two or three weeks in a row and they send their tithes and offerings in? You say, what are you, why are you doing I don't have a clue, but you needed to hear it, obviously. The Lord went and told me to tell you. Because I don't talk like that about stuff most often. You know I don't. You say, that's all he ever talks about is money. You know what? You haven't been here more than about three minutes. <laughs> so anyway, we have these two. Now watch this. This is important. Let's keep reading this. I love this. He says, And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old, eighty-five. Yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Notice, for war, for war, both to go out and to come in. You say, Well, that's ridiculous. I don't know of an eighty-five-year-old that could go to war. Uh, Are you kidding me? Hold on now. You gotta have the right perspective, a biblical perspective now. In the Old Testament, God gives us so many physical examples of spiritual principles. See, in the New Testament, it's different. Do you know that the blessings of the Old Testament were physical? In the New Testament, they're spiritual. Do you realize that? So what we're saying is is this, older folks in the church today, when you start to feel like you are no longer needed, you feel like you're so disconnected because now, well, you know what? I don't really play a part. If I stopped giving, I'd have no purpose in this church. You don't get it, do you? The truth is is that you can still go in and out to war, spiritually speaking, that you are so equipped because you have all that experience to pray and to seek God's face. There's somebody in this church that needs you to step up and to be a counselor to them and to be a, a mentor to them. They need your experience and they need your truths, and they need those things you've learned quit sitting on the sidelines and get active and get involved in the lives of somebody here because they need you I'm 85 I know well you can still go in and out to spiritual battle you can still fight the foes today you can still bring down some giants today I'm about tired of our government's position on older people Let's get rid of them. They don't serve a purpose any longer. They're just taking up air and space. Why don't we just come up with a pill maybe to get rid of them once they get a certain age? Because all they're doing is killing our economy. Let me tell you something. The older people, Community Baptist Temple, God's kept you alive for a purpose. Keep investing in lives and keep making a difference. Call somebody and witness to somebody and share the gospel with somebody. And if you can teach, then maybe we need to use you in teaching. Maybe you need to be down in those nurseries, older people, and just holding a baby in your arms yeah. and making a difference in the next generation. Amen. Amen. But we often step aside and say, well, I can't do it. I'm not, I'm not able to do what I used to do. Physically, maybe, but spiritually, you can. Come on, don't you give up on yourself because God hasn't given up on you. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, your pastor hasn't given up on you. Whether you're young or old, you can kill a giant. Caleb was 85 years old. David, however, was just a kid. The Bible says he was a youth. We've got to close this down right now. But David was a young person. Matter of fact, Goliath steps up in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and looks at David and says, Thou art but a youth. And David said, Well, guess what? This youth... It's going to be the tool God uses to kill a giant. I don't care if you're young or you're old, you can kill a giant today. You can do it. And this is the thought, and I never even got to the thought that I had. And so I'm not going to preach the rest of the message. Maybe I'll continue it. But let me tell you what the thought is. Here's the third one. Here's the one I really wanted you to get. As a rule, giants will be killed by experienced soldiers. Now, I'm going to talk about that at length at another time. But we have David, a young man, and we have Caleb, an older one. And too many times, the devil discourages us because we don't get the chance to kill the giant immediately. But may I say, Caleb waited 45 years to kill that giant. How long will you be faithful to God looking forward to killing the giants in your life, in your relationship? How long will you hold on for God in your finances before you give up on God and quit on Him? You say, I've never quit on God. Peter said the same thing. Yet he denied the Lord thrice. I'm just telling you, there have been better men and women than us today that have quit on God. And many times the reason we quit on God is because our expectations are wrong. We get the idea that we should have a David experience that I just got saved, therefore I should be able to kick this habit and get rid of this problem and deal with this situation and it should just go away. I'm a Christian now and I should get victory over that. God, you owe me. How long are you willing to wait on the Lord? How long are you willing to depend on Christ? Because he's the one that gives the victory. How long are you willing to just stay faithful like Caleb was? Before the giants come down. You know what? There's a big giant in your life today if you don't know Christ as your Savior. It's called death. Eternal death. Do you realize that if you don't do something about death, eternal death in your life, That you'll spend an eternity separated from God on a place called the lake of fire? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That giant looms heavy and it looms tall and it looms large in your life today. And there's no way of getting around that giant. There's no way of getting under or over that giant. The only way you go is through that giant. And the only way you get through it is when Jesus Christ gives you victory over that giant. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're going to have to trust Him because it is the Lord that fights our battles and it's the Lord that gives us victory. And He's the only one that can guide that that stone, if you will, into the skull of that giant. That can ultimately bring that giant down so you can cross over safely to heaven's shore. What will you do with Jesus Christ today? Because He's the one that came for you, died for you, was buried and rose again for you. Won't you trust Christ? Because if you don't trust Him, you will be overcome by the giant of death, and spend an eternity without Christ in a place called the lake of fire. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him, and he with me. He's knocking today on your heart's door, and he's saying, listen, you don't know me personally. You know about me, but you've never invited me into your life. You never recognize the sinfulness and how it affects me, who is holy. Your sin and my holiness do not, do, do not work. It's like light and darkness, they don't go together. You've got to deal with your sin, and the only way you deal with it is through my son, Jesus. That's why I sent him, because there's no other way to have your sin forgiven but through him. Will you trust him today? Will you receive him today? Will you invite him into your life? He's knocking. You simply need to yield your will to him and invite him into your life and allow him to be your Lord and Savior. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for just this time that we've had together in the Word of God. And we just ask, Lord, that you just help us to be found faithful to you today. And we thank you, Lord, for just the examples you give us in the Bible. And in this particular portion, Lord, we've had the example of some giants that were killed by men, one old, one young. And We've learned just a couple of things about giant killing. Lord, we just ask, Lord, you just be with us. May we never think somehow the giants in our lives are indestructible. May we realize that they can be defeated if we just continue to trust and lean on you. But just continue to be faithful. Lord, may we never feel somehow that we're done killing giants. Lord, we may not physically be able to do what we did, but spiritually we can still kill giants. No matter how old we are, we cannot give up on serving you and living our life for you because you're the one that gives us life. And you didn't give it to us to live our own life. You gave it to us to live for you. Be with the young and old alike, and may we, Father, have the opportunity and the privilege of being able to kill some giants in our life, in our finances, in our health, our relationships, our feelings, our faith even. Lord, may we not become or grow impatient May we just wait on you and just be faithful. But Lord, today there might be some in this crowd today that are without Christ and the giant of death is looming. And Father, if they don't settle their salvation with the Lord Jesus, if they don't invite Christ into their life, if they don't allow him to defeat that enemy, they will go down and be separated forever from you. Lord, help them to realize how important it is that they trust the Lord Jesus because he alone can win the battle in their life. He alone can deliver them from the giant of death and give them eternal life in a place called heaven with you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I wonder, do you know for sure heaven's your home? In just a moment, the music's going to play. Won't you just simply step out? If you can you know someone's knocking. That someone isn't the devil. That someone isn't your, your personal conscience. That someone is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God's drawing you. Won't you just obey his voice? Won't you just settle your salvation today before it's eternally too late? Maybe there's a giant in your life. Won't you come? Bring it to God and say, God, I don't care whether you take it or don't right now. I know you're going to give me victory one day. I'm just going to be faithful to you. I'm not going to quit or give up on you no matter what or how big the giant seems because I know I will get victory in time. I'm just going to be like Caleb and stick it out. Whether you need saved, trusting Christ, or whether you just need to surrender a portion of your life to the Lord, you come this morning. Father, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed the music.